Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak, and with me is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. Today we have a very special guest, TV's most famous motor cop and sworn officer, Eric Estrada. Eric will be joining us this year in this year's 67th annual conference of members in Palm Springs this November. Hope to see everybody there. You'll be able to take pictures and get autographs signed at the gold sponsor CAHP Credit Union Vendor Booth. And I know the last time Eric was at our conference, he was the most popular person at conference. I think the line was out the door. People want to talk to you and hang out with you. I'm lucky in that respect because everybody there, all the men and women grew up watching the show. They were young kids watching the show with the, you know, the show was a great show. It was on Sunday night, eight o'clock family hour. The, you're going to end the week and start a new week the next day. So a lot of parents would say to kids, you don't get your homework done. You don't get to see chips. And a lot of that was going on. And a lot of people watched it with their families. You know, you watched it with your brother, your sister, your first boyfriend, first girlfriend, grandma, grandpa, uncle, uncle Larry, whatever. And so when people see me, they get like really excited. You know, first the show was was terrific. The bikes was first. We were two guys. Instead of horses, we had motorcycles. Okay. <laughs> That's the way I looked at it at the beginning. And um, people would see me and they would get like a real tingle in their face. And I could feel the vibe because subconsciously they're remembering. God, I used to watch it with my dad and my sister. Oh, I used to watch it when I was a kid. Oh, with them. And it reminds them of them. And if they're gone, that really chokes them out. And so they want to get a picture and they want to come up and say, hey, I watched you as a kid. I loved it. I had your poster in my locker. I had to hide my poster. I had your poster in the ceiling. I, <laughs> okay. It was great. And a lot of what I loved most, at one point in my law enforcement career, I had to go visit the director of the U.S. Marshal over in Washington. I went to all, all that over there. And this guy came out. I thought it was a 12-year-old kid. They just go, they melt, you know, because of the show, the influence of the show, the love of the show, and the memories it's created for. So I love it. I love it when the I'm, I love being called Ponch. I'm a cop lover from the age of four. I wanted to be a police officer since I was four because uh, my mother fired my dad who was stuck on the needle and she didn't want him polluting me and my sister because he was shooting up in front of me as a kid. So she got rid of him. And then what does she do? She starts dating a CSI detective named Pete Ponch, a cop. And this guy, I love this guy. He was great. I mean, he was awesome. And he influenced me and, and, and encouraged me. And until I was 18, I was going to be a New York City police officer. That was the goal. The goal was to go to the academy, do my thing, get my mother out of the projects, okay? So that was the goal. But at 18, there was this girl. <laughs> so he's a girl, a blonde, right? Named Christine Laporte. And she was into acting. And I said, nah, I grew up in the streets of Harlem. I can act. Just audition, get in, get the girl. So I did audition. I got in. And then after a week in that place, I got bit by the acting bug. And I said, oh my God, I love this. This is great. The feeling I would get when performing and doing improvs and doing little scenes and just exercises and everything just opened me up. Up, you know, as opposed to being like this in the street, you know, it opened me up. And that's what everybody should take an acting lesson just to open you up. You don't got to be an actor. I mean, it should be rule number one in 
for all adults and all young people because it really opens up. So I, uh, I had to go to my mom, tell my mom, Mommy, you got to stay in the projects a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> I want to try this acting thing. Oh, man, she lost her cookies. She's, I, Papo, Papo was my street name. I said, I, Papo, no, please, por favor, mijo, no. No, you're going to be a policeman and we're going to move from here. I said, yeah, Ma, I know, I know. That was the plan. That was the, I, mijo, no. I, Mommy, please, I got to do it. I got to try it. I really like what I feel. I like what it does to me. I like it because I create emotions and I ex expose them and I walk away and people will say, hey, that was cool what you did there and I, well, I like that part. And I say, okay, do you enjoy that? But they didn't feel what I felt. And that was the reason why I became an actor because I wanted that because it was mine and you couldn't take it away from me. Nobody could. And you grew up where I grew up, people take stuff from me all the time. Was the New Centurions, was that your first movie as a police no. officer? No, no, it wasn't. I had to make a deal with my mother to get over this because she didn't stop crying for a week and a half. I said, look, Ma, if I can't make any money at this acting thing, I'll come back by the age of 30 and I'll go to the academy because 32 is the cutoff date. Go to the academy and uh, you'll be my roommate and I'll get you out of here. Because if I can't make any money to have you live the way I want you to live, the way you should be living, the way my father should have done it, you know, uh, I'll come back and we'll be roommates. And at 27, I got lucky playing a police officer, a very elite group of people, California Highway Patrol. And uh, she never worked again until she passed. I moved her out of there, put her in a house out here. She sat in it for two weeks. I go to pick her up on a Saturday afternoon. I'm rolling up in my Rolls Royce with the convertible. Ah, living the life, right? Toys are us. So I roll in, grab my mom, say, come on, we're going to go to lunch. She's going off. I go, what's the matter? What happened? A beautiful house in Tarzana, south of the boulevard, you know, half an acre backyard. I said, ma, I can make this look like Puerto Rico for you if you want it. Whatever you want. She said, I, mijo, I want to go back to New York. So I moved her back to 57th and 8th Avenue. She had a view of Central Park, Tavern on the Green, the whole thing. For 30 years, I took care of everything. So that was my goal. I was actually doing movies before that. I did a string of, I was a movie actor. Then I said, this is not going to work. I do a movie this month and then for five months, I'm beating the pavement for another check. No, I need a steady. So Chips came along. I auditioned for Chips uh, because Rick Rossner, the creator, who's also a deputy sheriff still today, created the show. And he uh, saw me in the New Centurions and said, oh, I want to bring this kid in. See how he pairs up with Wilcox in you know, Wyoming and Ghetto. And it was a great combination between me and Larry. His character made mine shine, you know? It was great. So my first movie was a movie called The Cross and the Switchblade. A true story about Reverend David Wilkerson, who was a pastor in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, who was in his barn playing with his chickens or whatever he was doing. <laughs> Not to be disrespectful, but, you know, barns and stuff like that. I was like, wow, really? I had When I did Her Wife, I thought something happened on that set that blew my mind. And I said, I want that power. I want that kind of power. I'll tell you about it in a minute. So, Reverend, you know, he said that the Lord talked to him. He saw an article in the Daily News. He said, the Lord talked to him. Please come, to, you know, please help these children. It was in the area of 56, 67, that year at that time, there was a gang in New York called the Mau Mau's, a major, major heavy-duty gang. Now, gangs back then were different. We fought with car antennas, with, you know, very seldom somebody had a zip gun, if they didn't know how to make one. But we fought with car antennas, bricks, stones, bats. Nobody had a nine. Today, gangs are not gangs. Gangs today are drug traffickers, human traffickers, and the rest of it, okay? They're not gangs. Back then, we settled with a fight, you know? Sort of like the movie The Warriors. Yeah. Yeah. Exa exactly. Exactly. Totally. Totally. Tell you, my attorneys produced that. They didn't give me a part in it. They, they made a fortune of me and John Schneider and little Gary Coleman. They bought uh, Roger Corman's studio with that money. So I, uh, what was that? Oh, yeah. Nicky Cruz was the leader of the Mau Mau's. He was a very vicious 
Puerto Rican street kid. When he was growing up in Puerto Rico, his dad used to punish him by sticking him in a chicken coop overnight. And you know, you're in a chicken coop, you move. They go, all over. So the guy was bloodthirsty when he came out after years of that. When he got to New York, he was the warlord for the Mau Mau's. Their motto was draw blood in a fight. So anyway, he goes to New York, played by Pat Boone, played his role. And Don Murray, the director, remember Don Murray from Bus Stop at Hoodlum Priest? Yeah. Well, you know, in the religious circle, if you're tapped by Christ and you're tapped by the Lord, your responsibility is to pay it forward. So he did that movie and got tapped somewhere. Who knows? Maybe in a scene, wherever. But it happens. So he got he acquired from Dick Ross and Associates the rights to the Cross and the Switchway book and said, I want to direct it. And I had six auditions. They needed a kid, you know. Who knew gangs, who knew background, who knew drugs, who knew the street scene? I was very qualified for it. I was still very green because I was 19. And, you know, and I had to work as a waiter and stuff to pay for classes and go to workshops, you know, and to, to get there. So I come in and he's got a scene. They're all improvisations. He's got a scene on the stage. A couple actors, a lot of Juilliard children. <laughs> So he says, okay, this is your gang. Go up there, take over, decide what you want to do for the night. I said, okay, cool. I go up there. I immediately grab a girl, kiss her, push her off. I said, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to go hit the piggy banks. And these kids are going, I beg your pardon? Piggy bank? What is that? I said, parking meters, phone booth. I'm going to go get some change because I want pizza later. Yeah. <laughs> I just make it up. He says, okay, very good, everybody. Please, Estrada, come back tomorrow. I come back, he throws me in another situation. Come back, throws me in another situation. On the sixth callback, and every time I did an audition, I would run over to 60th Street in Amsterdam. Uh, yeah, no, Columbus. There's a church there called St. Paul the Apostle, which was where I got baptized, conf confirmation and all that, and went to from there from one to six. Uh, I would go and pray, hey, God, come on, man. I just auditioned. I was good. Now, who am I going to go to? Who am I going to talk to? So I go there. Then, on the sixth one, he says, before... Before, after the fifth one, he says, look, we're going to have Pat Boone here tomorrow and a team, me and this other kid. The other kid already had a movie. He was the kid in the up-down up, staircase with Sandy Dennis, up the down staircase. High school kid, real good-looking Italian, tall, jet black hair, look fabulous. I said, oh, sh I'm done. Uh, he's already got something. I got squat. So I figured, okay, so Pat Boone's going to be there. All right. I'm going to get thrown in the scene. I'm going to go to 42nd Street. And I bought a switchblade because you could buy them over the counter back there. The last one I bought was in Corsica last year. <laughs> real, real thing like beautiful. So I go in. I got it in my back pocket. I don't tell anybody I got it. I walk in. Um, Mr. Murray says, okay, Eric, here's your gang. Plan an evening. And there'll be a knock at the door. Okay. Then take it from there. So I go up there. I do the same thing. Grab the same chick. And she's like, oh, <laughs> Oh, poor girl. And then I sit down and I do something that I saw in a movie once and I thought it was a real cool look. You turn the chair and you sit on it like this. Because if you go in a room and you're sitting like that, nobody's going to look at anybody else. They're going to go, that's how you steal a scene, you know, or you get the attention. I knew a lot of tricks. I learned a lot of tricks because I watch a lot of movies. So what happened after the knock? Uh, I said to the kid, hey, go get the door. He said, huh? I said, get the f... And I went off. F-bomb. Get the door. Really scared him. He was a young kid. Picked the young one. He goes to the door. He opens the door. And Pat Boone is standing in the doorway. Right right here. Okay? He's standing in the doorway. He says, is Nikki here? I have a message for him. So the kid looks back at me. I go like this. And I look at Pat right there. I look him up and down. Give him that street wolf look. 
You know, when you wolf a guy, you just, you wolf him, right? And I don't do anything. Then he asks again, is Nikki here? I have a message for him. So I get up and I take the chair and I throw it that way. Really bring the focus to me. And I got a switchblade in my back pocket. Nobody knows I got it. So I get up, I go to the door. Uh, I'll have to stand, but no, okay. I won't stand. Figure I'm standing out. Pat is there. He says, are you Nikki? And I look him up and down and I don't say anything. That really brings attention to you. You don't answer. He says, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. So I figure I got to get really pissed here. I got to get really mad, but I don't want to yell and I don't want to talk. So I start, <laughs> I start doing this. <laughs> it's cheap, but it worked. And I grab Pat by the lapels, pull him in and slam him up against the wall. Then I go with the switchblade between him and my face. <laughs> <laughs> then his eyes are like, oh, he freaked. And Don Murray from the back yells, stop, stop. End the scene, stop. And you got the part. I got the part. Nice. That switchblade pulled me over. Uh, you know, I took the shot. Just like Chips, when I got punch, I played the Latino with the gun, the knife to break the bad boy, the bad A, all the time. How'd you find out about Chips? Was it offered to you or? No, Rick Rosner saw me in the New Centurions because my second movie is The Centurions. Then I, uh, then I got a Hawaii Five-O. In the Hawaii Five-O, they flew me from New York. They said, would he like to be, play a guest star role? I said, would he? I'll do a walk-on from Harlem to Hawaii, nine days at the Kahala Hilton, which is now the Mandarin Oriental. Come on. God, I was almost 21, man. I was 21, 22. Man, I was in my Toys R Us prime. So I went to did the thing, was great, met Mr. Lord, he was great. Something happened that I had never seen before. We're on the beach, it's windy, we're by the water. All of a sudden I see this big truck, a gaffer's truck, where they got all the equipment, you know, cables. And it's coming on the beach and I go, and I'm from New York City, I'm from Harlem. I never saw a truck on a beach. It's just, it's a rarity, okay? So I was like amazed, I go, wow, this is pretty cool, pretty cool. Then he put it right up to here, the cameras are all here. The thing is here and we're doing this scene and they brought it. <laughs> cracks me up. They brought it just to block the wind so the Jack Lord's hair wouldn't blow out of place. Oh, gosh. That's awesome. And, and I freaked out and I said, man, I want that power. And uh, just, it was wonderful. And then um, Chips came along. They went through 500 some odd guys. Then they went down to five. Then they had me and Larry meet. And a situation happened there where me and, first of all, I'm waiting at MGM. I'm going to read with Larry. I got four pages of a scene with him. I'm going to meet him for the first time. He pulls up in a pickup truck. He's got a bale of hay and a saddle on the back. When he pulls up, I go, oh my God, you got a horse? <laughs> <laughs> and so we went inside and goes, how you doing, partner? He's Wyoming. I just saw him yesterday. We were together yesterday. Yes, Saturday and yesterday. We had a thing to do. Um, I went upstairs. Okay, producer. Okay. All right, let's get started. I, okay. Let's go. Standing by the door. Always the door. Me and Larry are going off, talking back and forth, you know, doing the thing. Then all of a sudden, I jump a whole page. I blew it. I jumped a whole page because I was very nervous. And then he said, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got so mad. I turned around and I popped the door. <laughs> and then Rick Rosser, the creator, says, that's Ponch. He steps in it. Then he stinks. That's him. That helped. And then um, NBC didn't want me because up to that time, I, I switched over to TV because I needed money to send home and to pay my little rent in a room like this for three years. I lived in on Burbank and Koufax, Club California, <laughs> still there. So um, 
I started doing a lot of episodic TV. I did a Beretta. I was an arsonist in Kojak, an emergency. I was a patient. And all I had in my line was when it pulled me out of a fire was, oh, oh, that was it. And then, and then <laughs> Six million dollar man. And then I started doing top of the show. I was getting top of the show. And Billing and the TV guy. Joe Forrester, a policewoman. Angie Dickinson. What a sweetheart. Uh, a Mannix. I play a heroin addict. That was easy. That was a piece of cake. Uh, then NBC says, oh, we just saw this guy yesterday on a medical center. He was an arrogant tennis player with Cesar Romero. I got to meet Cesar. <laughs> wow. You know, I got lucky. I came in just when the old school was leaving or dying off. It was great because I did Midway and I got, I got, became very friendly with Glenn Ford, Robert Mitchum. Then I did a movie Trackdown and his son, Jim Mitchum. I got to meet all these guys, Henry Fonda, and work with them. Charlton Heston. So Charlton Heston and I did Airport 75 and then I did Midway. And then I said to Chuck, I said, hey, uh, I want to join the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Science. But I have to have been in three major motion pictures, starring or co-starring role, and I need two actors to endorse me, sponsor me for my entry. And he said, oh, come on, kid, yeah, give me the thing. And he signed it. And Ephraim Simulus Jr. was there, and he said, come here, give me a kid. He signed FBI, and I was in. So I've been a member since 75, and that was great. That was wonderful. Great times. So now when you're out and about and you're talking to people, obviously they recognize you from chips. Oh, yeah. I mean, what? how do you deal with that, with the crossover into what's going on nationally when it comes to law enforcement? And you do such a great job of putting out such a positive image about our work. I love cops, man. I'm a cop lover. So as a kid, I'm a cop lover. I have Pete Panos, the gentleman who dated my mom for like seven years. I have his gold shield. Oh, very cool. I have it at home. Nice. I have the gold shield. I was going to bring it. I didn't even bring my shield. That's because I didn't even bring a wall. I don't have any money. I can't tip the driver. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll get that covered for you. <laughs> no, no, no. So anyway, NBC didn't want me. So the creator of the show says, look, let's put him in uniform and put him on a bike and we'll screen test him. Me and this other dude. And then I go into the office after I sign my seven-year contract. I tell Mr. Rosner, uh, look, I auditioned as a Italian-American cop, Poncherelli. By the way, he named everybody in Chips out of somebody he knew. Pontarelli was a priest in the Vatican. Robert Pine played the sergeant, was his couture, was his college roommate. Uh, Johnny, uh, John Baker, played by Larry Wilcox, was his nephew, little Johnny. So he did that. He's a very sentimental guy. He's a sweetheart. So uh, I get in, I do it, and I go into the office. I said, Mr. Rosner, look, it doesn't make any sense me to play Italian-American. I'm Hispanic-American. Why don't we change the name to Poncherello and make him Hispanic-American cop? Now, mind you, this was in 77 when we were all still playing the Latino with the gun, the knife, the braid, <laughs> broomstick. And he said, okay, I took the shot. He could have said no. Now it would have gone on. And uh, since then, it opened a lot of doors for my, a, lot of, a lot of my brothers and sisters, Latino-wise. Jimmy Smith became a captain in, 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 in Miami Vice. Jimmy Smith's an attorney. All these guys started working. Hector Lazandra, director of a Chicago Bank, not the hospital, you know? Uh, so it was a good thing. So I did that. I was proud of that. There's a couple of things I'm proud of. And that was doing what I set out to do for my mom and being able to accomplish it. And to drop that little grain of salt for the Latin actors. And the other thing, I'm so proud that I got, and I do, and I will, and I still, till I die, represent law enforcement. Anywhere I go, everywhere I go. I mean, I had a th I got so sick the other day that I couldn't go down to Huntington Beach. There were 300 motorcycle guys that wanted to meet me, uh, and I had to pull it. And then the next 
four days later, I do every year the Cops on Parade in Reno, Street Vibrations, you know, because I'm a member of the Blue Knights and we ride, we ride and all that. And I couldn't do any of that. So they all, oh, please, next year. I said, yeah, sure. But you don't just, uh, you know, represent law enforcement in, in, on TV and in movies. You, you do it actually, too, right? Yes. So you, yes, you, where do you work? I work in Frederick County, Virginia, Sheriff's Office, uh, Commonwealth of Virginia in the state. And I'm an ICAC investigator, ICAC standing for ICAC, Internet Crimes Against Children. And that came about, I didn't go into that looking for it. That's another story. You got time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> there was a television show. Anyway, I chips canceled, 33, CHP doesn't do reserves. So I said, oh man, I lost my, I lost my, uh, what am I going to do? So I, I had gone through a fight with MGM. I fought them because uh, I own 50% of the show. I had a fight for it and they don't like it when you take money from their pocket because they want to show you their sets of books and not the real set of books. So they blacklisted me for 10 years. I said, fine. I went around the world, worked in Thailand, England, Spain, Italy, Mexico doing movies because the show was so popular in 87 countries. I mean, it really was major that I was able to reap the harvest from these producers that want me in their thing. And then later on, I was offered a soap opera in Mexico. I was down there doing a movie and they offered me a soap opera called Dos Mujeres Un Camino. And I said, oh my God, the producer comes to the set. I'm being dubbed in, because I grew up in the streets. I mean, I was selling snow cones at five, signing shoes at nine, working. I had a job all the time. And and um, I just, uh, I said to the producer, God, he tells me, we want to do a show where you have an 18-wheeler and you deliver f vegetables and produce from Tijuana down to Central LA and around the country and you got a wife and a kid and adopt a kid and a sidekick and you get a hitchhiker in the truck and it's a beautiful girl and she's desperate and just lost and stuff so you, out of helping her you guys fall in love which is taboo in the Latin culture but it's, it happens every day <laughs> sorry Latinos I just let the rabbit out of the bag <laughs> <laughs> so I say, you know what? I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. But I grew up in the streets of New York. I, I speak Spanglish. I could barely roll my R's. It took me a week and a half to learn how to say Ismael Monte Garza and didn't make it. Uh, that was <laughs> <laughs> so he says, well, we'll make it that you were born in Mexico, raised in San Diego. Then you came back. I said, oh, so I'm thinking, oh, cool. I'm going to speak eight words in English and two in Spanish. And I was hoping that it would be si or no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they send, this guy was a top. This is kind of like a spelling producer, TV producer. This, you don't say no to them. You're kind of, you're just, it's disrespectful. You just don't. So I told my manager, look, they sent me a script. I can't read it. I can't read it. It's not one word of English. I can't read this thing. I said, we can't just tell them flat out, no, that is totally disrespect. You don't do that. So I said, they want me for three months, original contract, 100 episodes. I had to live in Mexico City, work at St. Anna Univision. I said, I tell you what, chase them away. Just chase them away. Ask for $500,000 for the three months. Chase them away. I figured, oh, they're going to go, I know. Gracias, but thank you very much. And they go somewhere else. No. They said yes. So wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. It made it worse. Oh, no. Because I was really freaking out. I said, Conrad, my manager, I can't read the script, Conrad. I really want to get rid of them. They want me down there for three months. Okay, you tell them I want a house or apartment picked by me, decorated by me. I want to cook, a driver of the year, a cell phone, which is a buck a minute, and a bodyguard to take me to the studio and cook and the maid and all that stuff. Uh, they said, yes. So I said, oh my God. I said, okay, last straw. You tell them that I want one third of the 500 wired to my, in dollars, not pesos, 
to my account in City National here. I said, okay. So I was stuck. So I registered at Northridge Berlitz Language School for a month. Got a female teacher and we banged it out every day. Boom, boom, boom. We worked on it. And I got good. And then I went to Mexico earlier before filming because we did 10 shows a day. There's no way you're going to memorize 10 scripts. They have a method down there where they put a little microphone on your earlobe over here, hidden and an earpiece in your ear, and it all runs down the back, and you got controls down here, and they feed you your lines, and you repeat. You hear, and you repeat. But I'm American trained, so it took me a while. But I got it, and in my case, it helped, because the Spanish. My Spanish for the first 13 episodes was like a joke. People would laugh. But the Latin people, if your grandmother used Tide, your daughter will use Tide. They're very loyal. If they go to La Sears, your <laughs> children will go to La Sears. They really appreciated the fact that they knew I didn't speak Spanish because I had been for years. Chips was dubbed in Spanish and I had like a, like a Mike, Michael Lord voice. Pancho, Johnny, vamonos, amigo. You know, uh, so they knew I didn't speak Spanish, but they appreciated the fact that I made the effort. I made the reverse crossover, which nobody wants to come here. You know, I went that way. But I hadn't seen that kind of money since I fought MGN and got paid. Uh, and I said, okay, let's do it. So we're there, 90 episodes. I'm going, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. My kids were little then. And I said, I'm out of here. Boom. They slap another 160 episodes. Then another 100. So every time they slapped it, I asked for more money. And I asked for uh, Friday 507 Delta flight to LAX. Well, I mean, it sounds like the show is extremely popular for the them show, to keep it around. The show still today, 23 years later. We did 457 episodes. The show today was is still the highest rated, longest running Spanish telenovela in the history of Latin television. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was a cool. That's a nice, nice crown. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, brand ambassadorship for California Association of Highway Patrolman Credit Union. How did you get involved in that? Well, I went to Baker to Vegas one time and I met a Brad Hall. He says, I'd like you to appear for us. I said, sure. So he slapped me with a nickel and I said, let's go to work. And everybody showed up. I mean, every law enforcement guy from every kind of branch all over the country because that's what goes there. And he liked that. He says, well, what would it take to have you uh, do six or seven things over the year? I said, you know what? You nail me down now contractually. I don't want the whole pie. Just give me a slice and uh, we'll go to work uh, because Let's say you want me for a show that's coming down the road and I'm already and I'm already booked on something else. I can't take your show. You know, you give me a list, boom, and we put it on the calendar and everybody else is plays second fiddle. Well, I know, uh, you know, we've dealt with CAHP quite a bit here at PORAC and uh, just a fantastic organization. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't have chose a better brand ambassador because I can tell you wherever I've seen him, you're the star, dude. Everybody wants your autograph. Everybody wants your picture. And your affiliation with Chips and just kind of goes along lines with the... Uh, CHP and and you know their their brand as well. So yeah, you know, and I never made the Screen Actors Guild jail or the Me Too movement. <laughs> never got me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I've always tried to keep it clean, keep my nose clean, stay out of the garbage. So now with you being the uh, you know working for this other agency, yes. Uh, how often do you go out there? I mean, it's across the United well, States. I was out there last month. I had to qualify again every year. You got to qualify. I got an eighty-eight, an eighty-eight. I'm weak with my left. It was stupid. I could have got a better score. Because I get down on the knee, one knee, and doing, 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 and gonna get popping up, and it was just stupid because I went like this, which was dumb. You don't close your eyes because I'm a sporting clays enthusiast. I shoot trap, skeet, sporting clays all the time, and uh, you know, 25 straight, the whole thing, just wonderful. And you don't close your eyes, you don't when you're shooting shotguns. Same thing with a gun. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, 
what are your future plans? What do you have? Do you have anything coming down the pipe that we should be interested in looking for you? Yeah, I've got a company that wants to, wants me to represent them. Uh, well, not represent them, but be like a brand because they got 130 stores. They're going to open 132 more. But I said, look, if I get involved, it can't be with the pot stuff. It could be with the medical stuff. The, 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 the what do they call CDB? Oh, uh, yeah. CBD. Yeah. Stuff that's good for that way. Uh, but, and I don't want you to cut me a check for 200,000 just to start. I said, no, I don't want that. I want a partnership because I want to leave my family, the house and every dollar that I can at my age. I'm 70. So it's in the works. They're talking about it. We'll see what happens. Bah, bah, bah. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I, I live on appearances. I got a wonderful deal with Brad and I'm very happy to be part of the organization. And I do appearances and I got SAG after Social Security. <laughs> And Medicaid. And Medicaid. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Are there any other um, organizations that you're involved in? Well, for many years, I was the spokesperson for DARE back in the day. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. Then, uh, you, you know, for very many others, I did a seven-year stint with uh, AIG for giving out car seats once a month in 14 states. You know, we fly on a Friday, we set up the tents in the parking area, and we bring people through. We change the car seats out. We hire all law enforcement because you got to be certified to put them in. And I did that for seven years. That was a wonderful thing. And way before that, I remember my first charity. It was in 77. The uh, chip started and it was taking off. And the, the Beverly Hills Police Department had a basketball game, but we had to play in wheelchairs. And I remember that was my first one. And I've been going ever since. And uh, I never say no. You know, I just don't, especially if it's for, if it's for cops. I can't say no, you know, because I want to honor this man that influenced me. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to come and talk to us. No, thank you. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much. Yeah. Anytime you need anything, you let me know. You get hello, Danny, Brad. And, and we look forward to seeing you at conference too. Yeah. Palm Springs. We'll see you there. I'll be there, baby. This time I'll quaff my hair with some gel. All right. Because I just bought this thing. You know how much this costs? No, I don't. It's the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, Eric. We really appreciate you. You're such a great sport. Thank you. Uh, uh, you're an awesome representative for law enforcement. Thank I you. can't thank you enough for that because uh, we don't have enough people out there talking about us no, in a positive light. And they need us. We need people. We need people's understanding, people's love, people's energy, people's good wishes and blessings because uh, today is so difficult to be a law enforcement officer. They were, they're putting handcuffs on all the cops now in, in a lot of states. And we don't know how it's going to end up. Exactly. But you come from a place of actually doing it. Yeah. And representing I do it. it. I do it. So we're very grateful for that. So thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And don't miss Mr. Eric Estrada at our PORAC conference this November. You can register today at PORAC.org, PORAC.org. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Please join the discussion on our social media platforms. Go to PORAC.org for more info. Please subscribe. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Google, please give us five stars. That helps us get noticed. We're also uploading the podcast on YouTube. Subscribe and be sure to tune in on the platform whenever available. Don't forget to share our podcast with other PORAC members, your family and friends. All the best and have a safe day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 